kids are around and spouses are around and pets are around and everyone has lots of different responsibilities and it pulled in many directions in their lives. And it used to be that we hid a little bit of that at work um, and now we can't. So if there's one silver lining, it is helping organizations realize that they can let their employees work from home, let them dictate the schedules that they work. If you ever feel like a hamster inside of a wheel running a sprint inside of a marathon while balancing on top of a teeter-totter, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Settle Smarter with me, Dana Look Arimoto. So welcome back to the Settle Smarter podcast. I am your host, as always, Dana Look Arimoto, coming to you from Half Moon Bay today. I wonder where each of you happen to be today. Today's special guest is Allison Beard, senior editor at Harvard Business Review, better known for those of us junkies like myself over the last, I won't admit how many years, HBR. Welcome, Allison. Thanks. It's lovely to be here. Let's launch in, Allison. Are you ready to share a little bit about your story and what you see out there for careerism? Yeah. So I focus for Harvard Business Review on leadership and what we call managing yourself content, which is very much about career development. And I think in the past 10 years that I've been focusing on this space, you've seen lots of um, divergent points of view about what leadership really is and how best to manage your career. And I think increasingly, it's very much about authenticity, uh, being true to yourself, and creating a career that feels meaningful to you um, in many different ways, you know, on a personal level, uh, in terms of interaction and collaboration with your colleagues, in terms of what your organization can do in the world. Great. And can you also talk to us a little bit about the trade-offs that you tend to see in particular for the extra complexity of being a working parent? Yeah. So I think that this is one of the greatest challenges facing working people today, particularly in the United States where our social support structures aren't as strong as they are in other countries, particularly ones in Europe. Invariably, this falls on working women more than it does working men due to social constructs that take a long time to break down. Um, there's been some terrific research by sociologists like Caitlin Collins of the University of Washington talking about the intense guilt, pain, struggle that all of us feel in trying to balance our professional and our personal lives and to live up to extremely high standards in both realms. And frankly, you know, it is impossible to be the ideal, always on 24-7, devoted to my job worker, and also be what we envision um, the perfect parent is. Uh, again, always on 24-7, 100% devoted to your kids. So I think it's important for us to realize that those standards are crazy um, and that it's not something our organization should ask us to do. It's not th something society should ask us to do. And I think we all need to work to find better balance, better integration, um, and figure out what 
will make us feel as if we're living a purpose-driven life. I want to add to what she just said, because as my listeners know, I am all about blowing up the myth that there is such a thing as work-life balance, and I've got the scars to prove it from my own journey. And most of my guests have come on and been in alignment. Of course, the debate is always welcome. We want to make sure that all voices, all opinions, all perspectives are heard. What Allison just said, I want you all to think about for a moment, because we haven't spent enough time on this show talking about perfectionism. Where does it come from? I know you talked about social constructs. And obviously, there's this peer thing, right? We look up to these ideal people that we believe have it all by doing it all all at one time, which we know is impossible. Is it also something that we talk to ourselves about? Have you experienced that with all of your work over the last 10 years? Is this some voice track in our head, Allison? Yeah, I think part of it is. But I do worry about putting the onus on working women and working parents who want more balanced lifestyle, more flexible schedule, you know, all of it. I worry about putting the responsibility on us to say, oh, well, just change your mindset and it'll all be okay. I do think that organizations have a responsibility. I think policymakers have a responsibility to help us, you know, and, and make all of this more feasible. So the trifecta that Allison's illustrating for us is something we all talk about a lot on this show. And as you all know, I'm posting daily now on Instagram. This is covered deeply in my book, which is this trifecta. So we need employers to get in this game and display better leadership in terms of flexibility, total rewards programs, and absolutely policymakers have a lot to do with that we look at things happening for example in the state of california with ab5 and the way that freelancers and consultants and contractors are really constrained now more than ever interestingly enough just in time for covid and then we look at the voice of the employee especially as allison points out working parents and being their own advocate in terms of what they need what's realistic what works what doesn't and we've got to bring these three pieces together if we're going to have sustainable change so in this time of COVID, I'd love to hear your perspective and also what you're seeing as maybe best practice, Allison. How do people make these conscious trade-offs? Let's just give the benefit of the doubt that they're working at a decent place, they have a good boss or a good you know, employer, decent culture, and that policy is supportive enough that the employer and the employee can work together hand in hand. What do you see as some of the trade-offs that people you've interviewed or your own experience can really help our listeners think through? What trade-offs do they need to make? Yeah, well, I think the beauty of the current crisis that we're going through now and will probably continue through the time that this episode airs, you know, it has laid bare all the work-life challenges that everyone faces. So we're all seeing in each other's homes. We're all understanding that kids are around and spouses are around and pets are around and everyone has lots of different responsibilities and it pulled in many directions in their lives. And it used to be that we hid a little bit of that at work um, and now we can't. So if there's one silver lining, it is helping organizations realize that they can let their employees work from home, let them dictate the schedules that they work so that they are more conducive to being great parents. They can talk about family members and personal issues across the organization. There was a great story from the CEO of Slack, Stuart Butterfield, 
who said at the first all hands meeting that they did after the lockdowns began, their CMO had um, one of her kids crawl on her lap during her presentation and didn't miss a beat. And he said that it really sent an important message to the entire organization showing this is a new normal and we're all in this together and we're all going to get through it together. And he talked about um, another very senior male executive who has rambunctious young toddlers running around who quickly said to everyone, look, I'm available for meetings between 11 and two, and please try to schedule a meeting with me outside those hours. And so I do feel like this can be a catalyst for culture change in organizations to make them enact not necessarily formal policies, but just an informal policy of do what you need to do for your family and we're going to trust you to get the work done. This is so important. Everyone listen up to what Allison is talking about. It doesn't matter the size of company you work for. We are all in the same storm. We are clearly all also in different boats. So make sure one size fits one, not one size fits all. And that you are talking to your boss about what you need and bosses that are listening. And I coach a lot of CEOs. I'm a former CEO myself. We have got to do this example that Stuart is such a great leader uh, in exemplary ways for saying, hey, I notice you've got your toddler with you. What's his or her name? Like, don't just pretend the kid's not sitting there. Do you know what I mean, Allison? Yeah, absolutely. And I think to your point of what the employee can do to advocate for themselves, I, from the moment I had kids, basically made a conscious decision that I was never going to try to hide it or ignore it. And if I was to be known as the working mom in the office, then so be it. I had a great role model um, and a woman I worked with at the Financial Times named Emma Tucker, uh, who's now, I think, editor of the Times of London. <laughs> um, and she had young kids and was constantly talking about them and leaving work to, to do a school run or attend a sports practice. And she really set an example for, for what it is to be unabashedly doing two things at once. Um, and so I've always approached it that way and I've always asked for what I needed. I have asked for um, very flexible schedules. I've asked to work from home. I've asked to take uh, extra time and vacation when I felt that I needed it because I wanted to be closer to my kids. So being unafraid to talk to your manager about how you need to get your work done to make you a more productive employee, uh, a happier one, a more engaged one is, is important. It's very important. And these are great illustrative examples of how to really navigate in this, what we're all calling a new norm. I wish we had a better word for it. Maybe we make one up. This would be a good time. The future <laughs> of work. The future of work is now sponsored by Have a Life, right? Yes. A, a holistic yes, exactly. life. And that's what this podcast and this show is all about and making these conscious trade-offs. So do you have another story? Because you have such great stories to tell about another person that you've interviewed and experienced that's really setting the pace and helping working parents, especially working moms. One researcher who I love is named Ashley Willens. And she talks about how you can create a happier life by making more time for yourself. So we focus so often on money, career success, how far we climb. But she basically says that if you can create time for yourself, 
you will just feel as if you're living a more meaningful life. One of her big tips is outsourcing. You know, I do this in my personal life. I order my groceries from Peapod. I have a cleaner that comes in every week. I order out or have our sitter cook. And I know how lucky I am to be able to afford that kind of support. But Ashley points out that this works at at other socioeconomic levels too. You know, a cleaner once a month might be worth it. Ordering groceries or school supplies or whatever else online doesn't actually cost that much more money. Um, And so even for those people who it would seem like a stretch, just making small investments to get the time back that allows you to be more productive at work, that allows you to spend more time with your family is really important. Another is Daisy Wademan Dowling. Uh, she's the founder of a company called Work Parent. She led a high powered career on Wall Street before that in HR. So, helping people in this notoriously tough industry, and particularly women, figure out how to make it work. And she has a recommendation that she calls auditing. And it's basically just looking at your schedule, figuring out where you can create some slack, prioritizing. Dana, you talk about these five facets, career, family, friendships, community, well-being. And, you know, some people say like, well, don't I have to choose? Like, don't I have to pick three of those? And I think over a day that a hundred percent happens, you know, you might have to skip your workout and a school meeting or the kid's bedtime for a conference, but over a week or a month, it usually evens out if you are making good decisions in terms of where you're spending your time, where you're outsourcing, and how you're prioritizing your schedule. I love that you bring up the five facets. I was giving a talk and a woman from the Philippines stood up in a big tech meeting in Silicon Valley. And she said, okay, I love what you're saying. And yes, we need to outsource. And yes, we need more white space. And yes, we need to flex our time. And she worked for a very flexible employer into it. I'm sure you've talked to lots of executives there. Brad Smith was CEO at the time. And they had an amazing culture. Then she brought up this nuance that I wasn't prepared for, and I was so glad she brought it up. She said, my husband is traditional and doesn't want me outsourcing. What do I do? And I got to tell you, I had this panel of strong, smart, remarkable women, and there were men and women very integrated in this audience, and we were all like stumped for a minute. We had to really think about it. So you brought up you know, some socio- socioeconomics, and also we, we didn't get really into other European, for example, based cultures or you know, Asian Pacific cultures or, or other places where people maybe have a different set of values or beliefs when it comes to outsourcing. What would you say to women that are listening to this show that are saying, yes, in, in their mind, they'd love to do what we're talking about, but it won't work practically for them? What would you say? It does start with negotiation within households. It also involves shifting your mindset about what exactly is required. Um, You know, so I could feel guilty that I don't do my food shopping, walking around Whole Foods or grocery store, picking fruit and vegetables, you know, making sure that I've checked all the sell-by dates, et cetera. I order from Peapod, the groceries come they're probably not as perfect as I could have procured on my own, but that's time that I've saved that I've been yeah. able to either spend on my job or spend on my kids. So um, I think uh, I order blue apron boxes, you know, so I get pre-made meals. 
Uh, so I'm still cooking a homemade meal, but I'm not planning the recipe or doing anything like that. Obviously, I live in the United States. I have a very progressive partner. So I can't really give advice to people who sort of live in more traditional societies or families. But I think small steps are important. You know, I was just emailing with an HBS professor named Francesca Gino, who has four kids between six months and seven years old. She is a prolific researcher, teacher, writer, amazing, and is also managing this household of very small children. And she said that she ends the day just asking herself, did I do okay today? You know, and there are many ways that she probably messed up and missed perfect by a mile, but she can laugh at sort of the imperfections and not feel bad about them because she just knows that she's doing okay. I've interviewed another woman, Reshma Sajani, the founder of Girls Who Code, who talks about how perfectionism is really ingrained into women uh, from the time they're small. And she just talks about being brave, not perfect. So for people who are in situations in which perfection or a certain ideal is being asked of them, I think she would say, be brave. You know, take a small step to, to change your um, in a way that will make it better for you. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up. And actually, I've met Reshma a couple of times. It's such a small world. Not really, though, when we're all really trying to drive toward the same realization that we cannot have it all all at one time. And you illustrated that so well early in this podcast show that we will have to sort of take it day by day and then look at maybe, as you point out, at the end of the day or the end of the week, how did I do? And the word okay is such a great word. It's not loaded up with perfectionism. I'm so in alignment with that. In my book, I talk about practice makes permanent, but never perfect. Mm. And comparing ourselves to others whom we deem perfect is such a trap. And on this show, our goal is to avoid those traps. And Lord knows I've stepped in enough to share like where they're hidden so that you can avoid (laughs) putting your foot or your whole body in it. So in the time we have left, I want to move to our lightning round of fact versus fiction. You've shared so many great stories, so much wisdom in a short period of time. It's so lovely to have someone on the show that really understands how to advocate for herself and also blends the advice and the wisdom from all of your years of interviewing and writing and sharing these you know, nuggets, if you will, with people as to how to really best navigate their life. So I'd love to just ask a couple quick fact versus fiction questions and we'll wrap with your favorite quote. I love to give my guests the last word. So are you ready? Yeah. Great. So you talked about time earlier, and this is so elusive for so many people. I want to remind you all, shout out to Laura Vanderkam. We have 168 hours in the week. That's all we have. You can't buy more. You're not going to end up with less either, by the way. How you spend it, up to you. So fact versus fiction, Allison, is time something that people truly value? There's a great quote from a Mumford and Son song that it's where you invest your love, you invest your life. And I think that's really true about time. You know, where you invest your time is signals what is meaningful to you. It signals what you want your legacy to be, um, signals what your values are. And so I think time is our most precious resource and we should cherish it and uh, be stingy with it. We should say no to things that drain us, that 
where we aren't adding value uh, and we should say yes to things that will lift us up. Fact or fiction, Allison? Outsourcing is for the weak. Uh, fiction. Outsourcing is for the smart. Outsourcing is for the strategic. Any manager knows that good delegation is the key to successful teams, successful organization. And so there's no reason that we shouldn't employ that in our personal lives. There are people who are much better at baking cupcakes for the uh, PTA sale. Uh, There are people who are much better at planning uh, the school fundraiser. Um, There aren't people who are better at doing the job that you are paid to do and working hard to do. And there aren't better people. Take care of your kids in meaningful moments. I think uh, Kathleen McGinn, who's a great professor at HBS, told me, a really funny thing once she said, you know, I knew very early on that I was good at being a professor and I was not good at teaching ABCs to my toddler. And so I hired someone who was very, very, very good at that and loved doing it. And then I was able to spend time with my child um, in a more quality way where I was adding more value to her life. So I take that message to heart. I will add the classic Kenny Rogers song of no one to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away because no one's eating my cupcakes in this house. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) (laughs) Even in this quarantine time, I have had more epic baking failures and it's just time to give it up. And my daughters are 16 and 20. They can do the baking or not have (laughs) baking at all. My husband is a wonderful Uh, maker of sushi and a griller, but also not a baker. So know what you're good at, know what you're not good at and dump the stuff without the guilt. It's hard to relinquish control sometimes. Um, You know, when my husband steps up and cooks, I'm always like, oh, I would have, you know, put a little bit more sauce in there or whatever, or, oh, I would have folded the clothes a different way. And I do think, and I need to get better at this myself, Even those things that you're good at, if someone is willing to help you do them in a way that creates more space for you to do more important things, you got to let that go. So let's debunk a myth for our final fact versus fiction. Here's a trick question. Good is the enemy of great when it comes to folding laundry. Fact or fiction? (laughs) Um, I do think there is a right way to fold laundry. However... (laughs) Um, I agree. I agree. I think that, um, great is the enemy of good. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. So this has been a fantastic episode. You've given a lot of information and wonderful references. We'll include all of this in the show notes. So we really encourage you to work smarter, not harder. And Allison, if you've got a final word on a quote, we will give that to you. So please take it away. Given what's going on in our country currently, a lot of racial unrest in addition to a health and socioeconomic crisis, I want to quote Desmond Tutu. If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. We are honored to have you share that quote and to be with us today for a short time. Allison, I know that you have a lot going on and there are multiple ways to find you. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you're working on? Yeah, so I'm an editor for HBR Magazine and HBR.org, but most recently I am co-host of our podcast, Dear HBR, which is a workplace advice show. So if anyone listening has challenges that they're facing, please email us, dearhbr at hbr.org. And also co-host of the HBR IdeaCast with the Q&A 
which is a Q&A with a management expert about really important topics in management. Uh, so that's been really fun for me in a way to broaden myself in ways I wouldn't have imagined a couple of years ago. Excellent. Settle Smarter is produced by New Dog Media in association with Phoenix Fifth, who are solely responsible for the content. Check the show notes for links to our website, settlesmarter.com. To find Dana Look Aramoto's latest book, take the quiz, read more about today's guest, and to contact us with your response to the show or any questions or comments. And don't forget to subscribe to the Settle Smarter podcast and share the episode. Settle Smarter was recorded and edited by Paul Godwin, who also composed our theme music. Settle Smarter can be heard at Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you hear your podcasts. On behalf of Dana Look, Arimoto, and the whole Settle Smarter team, this is Paul Godwin saying, see you next time.